Hi there. Welcome to a special fall season of 76 West, a podcast from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. Conversations at the JCC are made possible by Zabars and Zabars.com. I'm Jason Blitman from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas, and on today's episode, I talked to David Krumholtz. David is one of those actors that when you see a picture of him, you say, oh yeah, I know that guy. You might recognize him from films like Life with Mikey, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Hail Caesar, Slums of Beverly Hills, 10 Things I Hate About You, or The Santa Claus, among many others. Television credits include Numbers, ER, The Deuce, The Newsroom, Freaks and Geeks, Gigi Does It, so many others. Krumholtz made his theatrical debut in Herb Gardner's Conversations with My Father. He will next appear in Oppenheimer, The Santa Clauses on Disney+, and HBO's The White House Plumbers. He can currently be seen on Broadway eight times a week in Tom Stoppard's Leopoldstadt. Please enjoy David Krumholtz. Did you dress up for me today? Oh, do I look dressed up? <laughs> You're wearing a button-down shirt. I'm wearing a shirt with a hot dog on. Oh, yeah, I like that. No, I just, this is what I had, threw it on. Good, I love it. It's laundry day, so this is a, you know, this was already clean. I feel like most people are in their, like, sweats for laundry day. I appreciate that you... <laughs> You're like dressed up and looking nice for laundry day. I'm not wearing anything beneath this. So <laughs> great. Good. Yeah. You grew up in New York. Yes. Right. In Queens. Yeah. Did that have an impact on you as a performer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a neighborhood. My neighborhood in Queens is filled with uh, crazy people and old people. Mm. Uh, I say this in great respect to my neighborhood, but, you know, in a small, four block four square block radius of my neighborhood you can find like six different pharmacies so everyone was well medicated uh either for being for health problems or mental health problems Mm. um and um i went to school in manhattan i went to high school at a, a school called professional children's school which is a school that's set up for kids with professional schedules because I was already working at the time and it's been there for, I want to say like 120 years, like Milton Berle graduated from that school. (laughs) And every day I would take the the subway into the city, into Manhattan and the subway I found to be the best sort of character study of all, because there's this, you know, New York, there's so much, collective consciousness to begin with. But on the subway, there's this sort of subtle communication in the eyes between everyone who rides the subway. You know, everyone's sort of checking in with each other. Are you safe? Are you normal? Uh, Are you, you know, are you having a good day? Are you having a bad day? Uh, What's life like? And, um, you know, it's interesting how you can pick up on all sort of sorts of um, modes of being, if you will, Mm. uh, just by sort of staring at someone, uh, you know, for a brief moment uh, or, or interacting with someone in, in a glance or two in a shared glance. And so I found that fascinating because uh, Queens in specific is the most multi-ethnic area in the world. There's more nationalities represented in Queens than there is anywhere in the world. Um, Hmm. 
So I got a, an amazing worldview as one does from living and growing up in New York City. Uh, and, uh, and so combined with the crazy medicated people in my neighborhood, uh, I became a real observant, um, um, you know, study of, of, of personality types of emotions and, and yeah, it helped tremendously, you know, it's the culture capital of, of the United States and perhaps the entire world. So. Uh, it's no wonder that so many great artists not only come from there, but the surrounding areas like New Jersey mm -hmm. or Connecticut or Toronto or, you mm -hmm. know, anything in the vicinity of that area. It sort of spreads out because the people who work in New York, New York City live outside of New York City and, uh, and and you get to know them. You get to sort of feel who they are. So, yeah, I miss the Greek food of Astoria, Queens. <laughs> Yeah, Greek food is bomb. <laughs> Greek food is bomb in Astoria. It's true. And so your dip into professional acting, you said you mm -hmm. you were you had a professional schedule starting from when you were very young. My English teacher in junior high school, his name is Lon Blaze. And yeah, he told me to go audition for a Broadway play one day, not having any experience or any uh wherewithal about how to get into the business. I did not have an agent or anything like that. I wasn't really into act. I wasn't an actor. I was just a kid, mm. you know, I didn't really mm. want to be, I think I wanted to be a hairstylist when I was young for a while. I had kind of um, become enamored with my local Italian barber <laughs> who was straight off the boat from Italy. And he was so, <laughs> so good with a pair of scissors. And I thought, this could be the way to go. Um, and I think I may have at some point had delusions of becoming like a neurosurgeon, uh, which would never have happened because I'm stupid. Um, so, uh, so it's a good thing that Mr. Blaze sent me on that audition because I got it. And yeah, before you know it, I was on Broadway. It was the weirdest mm -hmm. thing. It was one of those things where, it's a rare moment in life and it happened to me early where you go, Oh my God, I just got super, 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 super lucky. And what does it mean? You know, it yeah. kind of, uh, you know, set me up for a life of, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> Was it uh, instant your love of the, of the work of the performing? I think I love the attention. Mm, um, sure. Yeah, I don't want to say that I loved performing. I didn't hate performing. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't understand the importance of it or or how it would be important to my life or how I didn't understand how to impact an audience. Uh, and I didn't, in all honesty, I barely understood the play. I, I knew what it was mm -hmm. about in broad strokes, but I was 13 and the more sort of nuanced uh, stuff in the play. I didn't really understand until I was a little bit older until I was about 17 or 18. And I reread the play, which was a play called conversations with my father it was written by Herb Gardner. And, and, um, and, and yeah, it took me a few years to, to understand what I was doing. I was just so, I mean, I was obnoxious. I was walking around. I remember telling, you know, uh, telling everyone in the play that I was going to be nominated for a Tony and, 
you know, I mean, it's stuff you wouldn't be caught. I wouldn't be caught dead saying today, you know, out loud. Mm. Um, no, just in your internally. Uh, yeah, of course. Out loud, <laughs> in, internally, of course. I want to talk about how you transitioned from that into film and what what's the cliff note version? The cliff note version is it's simple. The, the, um, the director of the play next door, the, the musical next door was falsettos and the director was a man named james lapine mm -hmm. who also wrote the play, uh, falsettos and he was getting his opportunity to direct to direct his second film first studio film little movie called life with mikey which was about being a kid actor uh that michael j fox was gonna do and he saw me in the play next door and was like hey you'd be great to do this and then everything kind of dominoed from there. The writer yeah. of that film was Mark Lawrence. He ended up, you know, producing a TV show that I was, that was my first TV series. The director of the pilot of that series ended up directing the Santa Claus, uh, the producer of life with Mikey. His next movie was Adam's family values. So the first like three to four years of my career was just a, a a blur in terms of, and I was hot. I had no idea I had like heat, you know? Um, to me, I thought that was normal. So it wasn't until I was like 17 or 18 that I first had a dose of being out of work, being unemployed for a long stretch. And I thought, oh, this is not as much fun. This part's not fun. Little did I knew that later on, you know, I realized that really be, ha, becomes the work. The, the work becomes how to survive when you're not actually mm -hmm. acting, you know? Um, and, but at the time uh, I just thought it wouldn't, wouldn't ever stop. And that kismet would strike a thousand times, you know, wow. uh, like it had. So I, I was really lucky, really. Lucky. That's incredible. I don't know. I'm just super lucky, man. It's uh, yeah. it's a, it's, it's, it's a, I, I tell you this categorically, and I and I actually ran into Meg Simon, who is an amazing uh, theater casting director and also has done a ton of film and television. Mm -hmm. She cast me in the first play I ever did, mm. the first job I ever had. And she came and saw Leopoldstadt the other night. And I thought, you know, I should tell her the truth, which is that she saved my life. You know, I, mm. I really only recently in the last like few years have reflected on what could have would have been in a sort of Christmas Carolish, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge type way, had I not gotten this opportunity. Um, and, and, and I would have been in so much trouble, <laughs> you know, uh, the allure of, of drugs. I, I don't know. I think I've, I would have been in big trouble and I ended up writing the script about it, which is kind of um, a what if, you know, what would my life be? And I decided that the best case scenario, instead of making the script about the worst case scenario, the best case scenario is I would, I, I would have been like a dumpy school bus driver or something, you know, like in my neighborhood in Queens, because I like children and I would have like been nice and, you know, <laughs> and I thought, well, if I just plug along and do enough sort of different ish stuff, it'll eventually pan out. And eventually it kind of did like a couple of years ago when like the Santa Claus came into this weird retro zeitgeist that it had never had before, where the kids that grew up watching it were now the culture makers of the time. They were in their early thirties and 
all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait, you know, Crum, that kid, Crum, he was also uh, in this and that. And why wow, I never put two and two together. And it also helped that like Oscar Isaac became famous because mm. people thought that um, people started going, oh, I think Oscar Isaac is the kid in Adam's family values. <laughs> and just by that mistake alone, <laughs> by correction, by the law of corrections, uh, people started going, no, it was this kid, David Grumholtz. And it's like, wait, Dave, I know him from that, or I know him from that. I didn't know he was that kid. And then it mm-hmm. sort of finally happened, which is really nice. And now I'm just trying to do it again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sounds so terrible. I hate, I hate interviews because I always end up sounding, but I'm, no. I'm all too honest, but the truth is, it's a complete, you have to accept the fact if you're an actor of all things, but any artist, but certainly an actor, it's, it's just a self-indulgent life mm-hmm. there. You, you have to indulge in the indulgence. Now we, we should talk about the play, I guess. Um, okay. I <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Why not? Do you not want to talk about it? That you're, you're sick um, of it. You do it eight times a week. No, I'm happy to talk about, it. you know, there's a great quote from Maggie Smith an amazing actress. I've heard said, of her. Yeah. Who said, uh, said someone asked her, what's her favorite job? And she said, the one I'm not currently doing. Mm. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I'm having a blast doing Leopoldstadt, but I don't know. I'd love to, obviously we're going to talk about it, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know all the answers. I'll admit that I may say something that I find out a year from now is completely no. So let's talk, let's talk around yeah. it. Okay. So you were both Jews who okay. I, I'm going to quote a great author named AJ Jacobs, who mm-hmm. I, I love. And he, AJ says that he is as Jewish as Olive Garden is Italian. <laughs> right. And I relate so deeply to that. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, seeing a play like Leopoldstadt, I feel like, um, uh, was interesting for me, who doesn't necessarily feel super Jewish regularly, to like really think about my own history, my own family legacy. Well, where, did, where did you grow up? Jew grow up. So I I grew up in South Florida. Interesting. Okay. So the equivalent of growing up in Queens or you know near near the Jews, mm-hmm. you know, I had the people nearby. But you also had, you also had a, a heavy a Latin, a Latino community down there. Right. And totally. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, I'm the same exact way as you, where it's mm-hmm. like, why should I be one thing when I can be a thousand things when being American kind of lets me, or being a New Yorker kind of mm-hmm. lets me be a thousand things. You know, right. when I say, someone asked me who that, who, you know, what I am, which is a weird question. You know, if I say New Yorker, I could be anything. That's mm-hmm. so much ex- more exciting. If I say American, I could be anything. If if I say Jewish, then, you know, there's preconceived notions and, that are unfortunate. Um, I never got into being Jewish. I never got yeah. into it. <laughs> well, Not it's like, funny. I know that sounds so cheap to say it that way, but it wasn't a thing to get into. You know, mm-hmm. um, I did the the thing. I, I had got bar mitzvah. Did you get bar mitzvah? I didn't. Okay. Wow. You know what? what were... Well, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, my so first, I grew up in a very Jewish town, and okay, and everyone was doing it. So it was it was a status thing amongst 
your my parents' friends, it was like, oh, Jason's not getting bar mitzvah, that mm-hmm. it was a thing. But for me, I was in rehearsal always. And I was oh, like, I would I would rather be in rehearsal than go to Hebrew school. This is right. giving me, this is fulfilling me in a way. And your parents allowed that. They were like, this I is sort of dug my heels in, but Good right. And, and also, you know, they didn't have to spend the fifty thousand dollars on the party right. to a, to for the social status. But right, no, I'm <laughs> I'm imp- you were you were bar mitzvah. Good for you. I had the worst bar mitzvah ever. But what was the, the theme? Do you remember? There was no theme because <laughs> because my parents had no money. Like so, literally, we were just like, let's have locks and bagels, like in the basement of the synagogue on the Saturday by candlelight, no music. And the only centerpiece I had, I had one piece and it was Hulk Hogan, you know, doing his thing. And that was it. And and so, I remember so the theme like, was sad brunch, <laughs> sad wrestling brunch. <laughs> um, it was really, you know, pathetic. I could only invite, I remember I could only invite eight of my friends. Oh my God. Other friends were like, I'm not inviting you to yours, mine, because you didn't invite me to yours. And I'm like, the only reason I didn't invite you is because I can't afford you. Like, <laughs> so I didn't get invited to a bunch of them. Oh no. It was a payback thing. So yeah, I had, I had a bad bar mitzvah, but um but so does know. doing does doing yeah. the play make you reflect on your Judaism at all? Oh, you could also say no. Like, no, like that's the like <laughs> I'll put it to you this way. Um we rehearsed on 42nd Street at uh, the uh new at New 42. New 42, yeah. yeah. And I found myself several times out on 42nd Street bawling. Mm. Not just about the content of the play, which is obviously very sad and shattering, but uh, but you know the play is so much more. It's it's it you know on the surface it's a play about a, a family that goes through the Holocaust, uh, but really it's a play about identity, about about um, about denying about assimilation and, and, and mm-hmm. how assimilation requires some level of denial of, of what you're born as what you're born into. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I found myself several times out on 42nd street, just crying in realization of what I had been denying for so long and some shame um, about it. And, and also this overwhelming uh, tears of joy uh, at, at the pride that I suddenly felt like, yeah, you know, like I, I kind of, it's a thing I am, whether I like it or not. And I, I am, I'm Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I am. And I'm not talking about religiously. I'm talking about culturally. Right. I'm Jewish. I say oi 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 sometimes <laughs> when bad things happen. Because it is I deep in help. our blood. It's, we can't. It help. is what it is, man. My dad was Jewish. He was proud of being Jewish. Yeah. He made I made him worry that I was never going to be into it. Um, you know, these people, the people, the characters in the play die for something they can't help but be. Their individuality, their personality, their persona, their 
wants, dreams, aspirations, hopes, none of it mattered. Mm-hmm. None of who they were as individuals mattered. And that's the tragic part of being born into something that, um, that you can't shake no matter how hard you try. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the even far further tragic part of, of Leopoldstadt is that my character tries. He converts to Christianity. He denies his Judaism. He makes fun of Jews. Of, of, he, he uses Jewish tropes. He makes anti-Semitic remarks, even though he was born Jewish. His mother's Jewish. His father's Jewish. His whole family is Jewish. Um, right. Trying to run from it as far as he can. Trying to run from it as far day, as he, At the end matter. of the day, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. And that that can happen is so um, horrifying. And yet, in, the, in light of all that, in rehearsals, when the play sort of embedded itself in me, I came to really appreciate that part of myself, hmm. the, the part that I can't help. You know, we, we, we play God in the way that we kind of try so desperately to create ourselves, to manifest something, to be something we aren't, or to be a new thing. We love newness, right? We, we, we love, you know, out with the old. We don't want to ever feel like we're repeating ourselves. And sometimes there are things that are intrinsically true about you that you're not ever supposed to know. You know, you're not really ever supposed to know them. You know, again, back to my father passing away, which is a big thing, especially lately with Leopoldstadt. Sure. In, in, in that when, when a parent dies, he or she takes with them a part of you that only you and, and, and they know existed within you. Hmm. And perhaps you, you, they're the only ones. When my dad passed away, he knew me as a boy. Did I know myself as a boy? You know, did I really know myself? No, he did. Um, and so those things are important. They need to be given weight. It's okay to go for the new all the time and to reinvent yourself and to find a new identity and to, to strive for something different for different sake, just because you're bored, because life can be boring. But ultimately, rejoicing in the stuff you can't help but be is actually a, a, a safer place to then change your identity from. You know, it's yeah. a safer base. The play is so much about that too. And just like about legacy in general. And I think one of the things that really kind of punched me in the gut when I saw it was, you know, it's, it's, there are so many small stories within this kind of big play. And to your point about it doesn't matter who the people are, they were Jewish and that was it. And we all know what happened to them. Um those tiny stories within the play almost don't really matter. And there are these kind of big overarching themes or, or images or things that happen throughout the play um, that are very powerful. And one of them being the, the passing down of the family album mm-hmm. right. and keep keeping track of who's who. And do we remember that person? And once everybody who knew who this person was is gone, then that person is gone to 
Right. And that is a very powerful. Well, and that's the, you know, concept. one of the, one of the chief complaints <laughs> that, right. that the right. show, that the show gets is it's hard to follow who everybody is. That's kind of the point. Yeah. Um, that, you know, Tom is, Tom Stoppard's a genius for right. a reason. Like he, that's kind of the point. The point is the plays over in two hours and 10 minutes, you've been introduced to about 32 people, different people in that time span. You don't know who all of they, who all of them are. It's hard to remember their names because it didn't matter in the end, right. their individuality was stolen from them right. and, and thrown into a pile of, uh, of bones, you know, that's how it was. That's mm-hmm. something that happened to people. And that's the point he's trying to make is by not uh, by not allowing the audience to sort of catch up. That's the point he's right. trying to make is, right. is when, when you're gone, there's such a finality to death that there's nothing to catch up to. And, uh, and yes, that's the most devastating part of the play. And the reason the play is so effective Um and I, I think it's the reason people are coming to see it in droves, yeah. which I don't think any of us, you know, could could have said we were certain would happen. But there's something about the 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 stark truth of it um, that the people are, are grasping for right now. They want that in their lives. And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's so frustrating because. I saw it a few weeks ago now and you sit there and you're like, Oh, this is so relevant. I can't believe that I have to sit here today and think this is so relevant. And here we are today. It's more relevant today than it was two weeks ago. And that is today, right? (laughs) Literally today, you know, spoiler alert to our listeners. This is, we're, this is, this will be released in a couple of weeks, but we're recording this on the day that, that Adidas cut ties with who we won't name on this episode today. (laughs) Okay. Um, but it's just a lot, there's a lot going on in the world and and uh, it's it's incredibly frustrating that it is as relevant as it is, but I'm grateful you have a job. <laughs> hey, thanks. Uh, no, um, look, <laughs> it, it is interesting that it all sort of ended up in a, in a larger zeitgeist than any of us would have anticipated. Uh, and it proves so much of the play true. You know, this play could very easily have been um, discounted or, or shoved off as, oh, another, you know, play about a race or a religion complaining about persecution and how hard it is to be bunched into a race or religion, which is not unimportant, but still we've seen so many of them and they're mm-hmm. derivative. Suddenly this play is not uh, derivative and suddenly this play is fresh and new and a new way in or, or the story of, of a man who has tried to assimilate to the detriment of his character mm-hmm. of who he is um, uh, in order to shed uh, a religion uh, you know is is strangely all of a sudden um, you know very relatable you know, in, a, in an era where everything is under this microscope of opinion of, of, of you know, um, of perspective and, and, you know, from one moment to the next, someone's perspective can poison or inform 
millions of people uh, to either think their way or think the opposite way. Um, These kinds of factual atrocities, these things that happened um, become in a way harder to believe, you know, Um, when, 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 when a whole persecution of people is boiled down to a tweet, it becomes harder to believe that millions of people were killed in horrific ways. Um, And so it is important to tell this particular story at this moment. Our humanity uh, is, is is what frightens people who don't understand us. And it's true of any uh, race and religion that is persecuted or treated less than human, dehumanized. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the humanity itself that's threatening. Um, So yeah, I think time to be proud. (laughs) It is time to be proud. It's time to be proud. Let's bring, well, let's bring the conversation on an upswing as okay. we, as we finish. Right. I, we have a few more minutes. I okay. want to, okay, wait, while we're on the play for one more minute. Yeah. How was it working with Tom Stoppard on what is likely to be, or said to be his last Broadway play? How was that? Well, I, I, he has tremendous energy. So I don't know if it's his, if his, if it's truly his last, um, he is absolutely lovely, kind, he said the nicest thing to me on the very first day I met him. I told him that I was doing the play in memory of my, in honor of my dad. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, your dad's gone. I said, yes. And he would have really loved it. And he said, well, I'll miss your dad too. And I said, why? Right. And he said, I'll miss him sitting next to me at the end of one of the performances and telling me that was great. You know, I, I met him that day. <laughs> You know, that's a hell of a heavy thing to say. He's just wow. a beautiful man, which, you know, yeah. you can see in the writing. You know, he's a he's a humanist. He's a kind man. Um, and, and, and so working alongside, it's just, and it's true of everyone involved in this production. I've never worked, I, I couldn't have imagined ever working in this wide uh, array of people. Uh, both from a quantity standpoint and and a, and a difference in personalities, sure. who, are, who are who are so supportive and kind and lovely and and talented, it's just amazing. It's a rare yeah. thing. We're it's all convinced that human. this thing is is kind of sanctioned by a higher power, mm-hmm. and we're all just along for the ride because it's 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 kismet. It's really beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Speaking of kindness and humanity, I have to just shout out, you know, I, scrolling through your Instagram and in preparing for this conversation, you, during COVID, mm-hmm. uh, popped onto Instagram Live in your <laughs> Bernard the Elf regalia, yeah. and just for like 90 minutes sat there and talked to people and brought on people to join you and asked them what they wanted for Christmas. And it was so moving and I think just such a testament to who you are as a person. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people throw around, oh, they've, they're such a good person to work with or, oh, that they're such a lovely human or whatever it is. And I've had the pleasure of working with some folks that have 
been really great to work with, but you had expressed it in such in a forward-facing, public-facing way, not only in that one specific post, but I think all mm. over. You are you are outwardly supportive of the LGBT community. You are uh and and just it was part of why I was so excited to talk to you today, you know, in every conversation you've had and everything you share, uh, you just uh, radiate empathy uh, and positivity. And I just, as a person who encountered it, I wanted to thank you for that. It's not hard for me. And that's why I do it. You know, like it comes naturally and, and, and I'm not, um, it's, uh, you know, it's easy to be embarrassed by all kinds of things in this, in this particular business and mm-hmm. worry about reputation and all that. That's the fool's game, you know, just be yourself. And for me, the, it, it came naturally to, for me to do it. When you meet enough um, children, sick children, grown children, <laughs> uh, who, who, who really think you are Bernard the head elf, and all that entails, then the least I could do at the end of a very, very difficult year for humanity mm-hmm. was get on Instagram live and dress up and pretend to be him for an hour and a half. I had fun. It was fun for me, you know, uh, and uh, and it made a lot of people happy, you know, yeah. like how often does that happen? You know, like you say what you want about Johnny Depp. He, he dresses up as Captain Jack Sparrow and goes to hospitals as yeah. that character, you know? Yeah. Um, I find that fat rather than dressing up, than just showing up and being like, Hey, what's up? I'm the guy. And right. someone says, Hey, can you do the voice? And he says, right. Oh yeah, I can do a little bit of it, but I'm not going to completely he's full on, you know, like I, I kind of was inspired by that. So. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. I yeah. mentioned that to my husband and his first reaction was, he still has the wig. <laughs> I bought a new wig. I did, a, I did a whole thing. All That's that was so purchased funny. on Amazon. Oh my! But God. you know, there, there, there's a series coming, right? You know, the Santa Clauses. And so. so that, you said this about Meg Simon, the casting yes. director, and I will say to you, I should tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. I I have to say Bernard the Elf was one of my first crushes. Oh, thank you. Well, you're not the only one, strangely enough. You have said that, and and you also said that there was a whole BuzzFeed article that you were like a sexual awakening yeah. for young women. Well, it was young boys too. Absolutely. I know. I've come to learn that as well. And and he, I'm told he's a trans icon. Really? And, and yeah. Yes. Good for you. I yeah. I, I guess because he, you know, he's safe. He means well. Mm-hmm. He's he's giving. He's loving, and he knows what he's doing. He's confident, and all that is something <laughs> you aspire to be. I guess. Well, it's he, so and he funny. just happens to have pointy ears. I, 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 you know. <laughs> I was thinking about this as I was prepping for this call, and I was like, "Hey, maybe this is something to talk to in therapy too." Yeah. But I was like, I was like, I. I'm married to a maybe slightly grumpy Jew from New York who also celebrates <laughs> Christmas. We're a type. And I was like, I'm sort of <laughs> married to Bernard the Elf. <laughs> well, I apologize for that. Oh, no, that's, so um, that's so funny. Um, yeah, no. Oh, uh, I had to share. Um, and one more thing I wanted to bring up before we mm-hmm. go. You are a member of a cover band? Uh, yes, I play <laughs> right now because I'm on a bit of a hiatus. I, I play uh, doing the show. I, I haven't been playing as much, but I play. I, I have Twilight in 
two to three Grateful Dead cover bands in New Jersey from time to time. And during the pandemic, I'd played a lot of backyard parties because I had nothing else to do. Oh, and fine. so it ramped up and, and I was doing it like twice a weekend. But you, uh, yeah. you're, you're in more than one. I'm in more than one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I sing, time. I play bongos like Andy Kaufman. It's it's a oh, midlife crisis manifest, but you know it works for me. You sing, they told me to get a hobby, and I got the and I became a Grateful yes. Dead person singer. So fun. Yeah. Are you gonna do is a musical next for you? It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what's next, but uh, I would okay. love to do a musical. I guess that's what I, I mean. Like, what, what, next, I mean that in quotation marks. Yeah, yeah, of course. Know, uh, I, ow, oh, my cat's scratching me. Stop <laughs> it. Um, I would have loved to, uh, I would love to do a musical. I don't know. I, I Theater is a little much right now. It's yeah. a little like, well, I'm still wrapping my head around the long haul of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we've, got, you run we've got five more months. Um Whoa. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, wow, how do people do this? It's a real discipline uh, that I've never had to take on, or at least I haven't since I was a kid. So, mm -hmm. so I don't know. I can't answer that question now. I would totally try to do a musical, but musicals usually involve dancing and my <laughs> legs really hurt. <laughs> I'd love to quickly ask, what would you say the David Crumholtz dramatic question is? Will David Crumholtz blank in the as the engine that keeps you going? Is it will David Crumholtz become a hairstylist? Mm. Is it will David Crumholtz get out of bed tomorrow? Will David uh, Crumholtz make his father proud? You know what 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 would you say that is for you right now? In all seriousness, will David Crumholtz feed his cat in the next couple of days? This cat is annoying. I want nothing more to do with this cat. I'm not saying I'm going to willfully kill the cat. No, but, but I might give it a piece of your mind. Give it a piece of my mind. Might make it starve for it. No, that's not funny. Um, <laughs> I would never. I, I don't. Uh, uh, will David Crumholtz. Um, will I get the surgery on the hair? That's the question. Oh. Do I get the plugs? That's the that's the question. That's, that's the I, driving factor. Do I let days? this go completely bald? Um, Ooh, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's the question that drives me nowadays. <laughs> I'm a hair actor. It's all about the hair. What if I if I run out of hair? Then what am I? What am I? Um, what I, I don't know. I can't answer the question yeah, seriously. That's okay. I guess that's. Yeah, That's okay. I, listen, I like the hairstylist thing. The hairstylist thing. One the day, hair is good. maybe the cat be thing was cruel. My cat's right here. It's a <laughs> one of the sweetest. I love this cat. I've it's seen it giving you some love. So yeah, in it's, this, it's a nice, so. it also bit me several times. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. bleeding actually a little bit. But um, well, go take care of that. Yeah, okay. David, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. <laughs> nice you. All of our Thank folks you. Will, will go see Leopold Stad. Please and uh, enjoy the next five months. Uh, I appreciate it. Well, it's wonderful talking to you, man. Thank Thanks, you so David. much. All righty. Thanks for listening. You can catch David and Leopoldstadt on Broadway at the Long Anchor Theater now. And our listeners can get discounted tickets by using the code 
LeoGRP01. That's L-E-O-G-R-P-0-1 when you go to purchase tickets. This podcast is produced by Udi Ehrman and me, Jason Blitt. Our editor is Matt Temkin with music written and performed by Pearl Wolf. 76 West Fall podcast season will release new episodes every other week, so make sure to subscribe so you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review. Until next time. Yeah,